Ephesians this summer and into the beginning of this fall, looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, where Paul describes a particular set of characteristics of what the Christian life looks like, of what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. He's given several so far, and he focuses on three more this morning. Follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we do pray for the outpouring of your spirit this morning. That your spirit would fill us, that your spirit would teach us, that your spirit would would illumine our minds and our souls to your grace and to your truth. And that our lives would be an overflow of your work within us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian faith, what is it about? It is not about what you do, as important as that is. It is also not about what we think, as important as that is. It is about who we are through the indwelling of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because if the Christian life and what Christianity is focused on, what we do, if the focal point is on our behaviors, what will happen is you will end up becoming legalistic, pharisaical, and judgmentals. And that happens no matter which end of the theological spectrum that you're on. For those who focus on behaviors that are focused on being withdrawn from the world, on Christian conduct, on holiness, on separating themselves from sin... It is true. It is also true for those on the other end of the spectrum who seek to deeply engage with the world and be engaged in works of mercy and service and justice in our community and in our globe. If that becomes the focal point of the Christian faith, you will end up becoming judgmental and pharisaical and legalistic, and you will condemn those who do not engage in the practices that you feel are so important. Similarly, if the focal point of your faith is on what you think, You will become a debater who is quick to judge what you perceive as any error or any false doctrine or people who hold a belief or practice that is different than what you subscribe to. It is not about either one of those things. What it is about is about who we are in Jesus Christ. As my friend and mentor Brian Chappell says, many of you are reading one of his books, he says, when we confuse the means, what we do and what we think, with the goal which is the reality of the indwelling Christ in our lives. When we confuse these things, then religion becomes sterile, fruitless, and in the most sad of ways, it becomes merely human. Paul has a radically different picture for us in this passage. He calls us to be filled with the Spirit. It's the theme that he has been building upon, and we have too over the last several weeks. To be filled with the Spirit, that our lives would be lived so under the control and under the leading of the Holy Spirit that our life is taken up with Jesus Christ and reflects Him. The command that Paul gives here to be filled with the Spirit is not a one-time act, but rather refers to a, a continual thing, something that should occur day by day and indeed moment by moment. 
when someone becomes a Christian, and I know several of you are in the journey of exploring what does it mean to be a Christian. Some of you here have recently become Christians. But when you become a Christian, what happens is that the Holy Spirit enters your life, enters your heart, and seals you to Jesus Christ and unites him to him inextricably and inseparably. Inseparably. But then what happens after that, what Paul is encouraging us here in the command that he gives, he says you need to go on being filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Go on in every moment that our lives would be lived, surrendering each day, surrendering ourselves to his control and to his leading. And why would we not want to? After all, it is the Spirit of God dwelling within us that makes a person truly and genuinely loving. It is the Spirit of God that makes a person filled with joy, makes them forgiving, even of deep hurts. It's the Spirit of God working in a person's life that makes them peaceful and patient, makes them kind and bestowing goodness on others. It's the Spirit of God that makes us faithful and gentle and someone who is not brash, but someone who is self-controlled and gives life-giving speech. Someone filled with joy and forgiveness and peace. Isn't that what you want for your life? I mean, isn't that what you want your character to overflow with? To flow, overflow with love and forgiveness and patience and self-control? Well, those attributes come from the indwelling spirit being at work in your life. It's the Holy Spirit who works all this beauty. In a moment, we're going to look at several different ways, several different characteristics of a spirit-filled life. But before we dive into it, let me just give you an encouragement. To those of you who are here today and you feel overwhelmed... You feel overwhelmed with life. You feel overwhelmed with the struggles that you're going through. You feel overwhelmed maybe because of a battle with sin in your life. What Paul's calling to you is to be filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one that works in you to create all this beauty. To those of you who have come here today and you're complacent or apathetic about your faith, the command's the same, be filled with the Spirit. Don't think, don't settle. Don't think that you're okay. Don't think that you've arrived, for there is much, there is much, much more that the Spirit can do and will do in you. Paul, in the preceding verses, has called us to no longer live as children of darkness, but to live as children of light, to live as who you are. We've seen how the Spirit has filled people to grant them so that they could forgive the hardest things. To give speech that gives life, to put off bitterness and anger, and to be peaceable. Well, here in this passage, filling out this picture of what a spirit-filled life is, Paul gives a couple more characteristics. First off, he gives a contrast of what the spirit-filled life is not like. And then he gives three characteristics of the spirit-filled life. First off, the contrast. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Wine was a staple drink of the ancient Mediterranean it was, grape juice was fermented to preserve it so that it would not turn into vinegar. Scripture says that, the Bible says that wine is a gift from God. But drunkenness is in conflict with a spirit-filled life. And when he says, do not get drunk with wine, what he is identifying here is a broader principle. He's using a, a literary device called a synecdoche, which means a part for the whole. And the way that it works is kind of like a parent or someone, a parent says to a child, hey, get your rear end in that chair. They do not mean detach the backside and relocate it. It's a part for the whole. Get your rear end, get all of you over into that place, a part for the whole. And so when Paul says here, and do not get drunk with wine, he is identifying anything 
part for the whole, anything that would hold us under its influence, alcohol, drugs. And recently, there's been this surprising debate in Christian circles around marijuana and pot, like, if it's legal, what's the problem? Like, as if the legality as determined by the federal government is what determines God-honoring conflict, Right? And so Paul's point here is don't get drunk with, don't, don't be under the influence of anything else. Why? Because you're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this might raise some specific questions. It says, okay, don't get drunk, but the Bible says wine is a, a gift from God. Well, there is a whole lot of drinking that can go on between your first sip and drunkenness. What is the principle here? Well, in our own usage, people wouldn't say someone who is consuming alcohol, they say, well, that person is under the influence of alcohol. And what the Word of God calls us to be, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And why not be under the influence of anything else? It says, for that is debauchery. That is, impairment leads to reckless living. And Scripture calls us that whether you eat or drink, it should be done to the glory of God. And so anything that you consume should be consumed to give God glory. What does that mean? It means that this, that any use of anything that impairs your judgment, impairs your speech, impairs your conducts, that you do things that you would not have done if you weren't using that substance, should be, you should cease. Why? Because whatever joy or peace you may find in wine, the Holy Spirit gives you more. And your life is to be lived as an outworking of the Spirit in your life, not the outworking of something else. It is the Spirit of God that makes us loving and joyful and peaceful and living under self-control. He says, be filled with the Spirit. He then goes on to give three descriptions of what this Spirit-filled life looks like. They seem disconnected, but they're actually closely related. Be filled with the Spirit. How? By worshiping. Gives two different phrases to describe our worship. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Numerous expressions of worship. Psalms, certainly referring to the psalms contained in the Old Testament. Hymns, most likely a reference to the songs that the New Testament church sings. Why does Paul highlight these two? I think it is calling for us to celebrate and to praise God for what God has done in the past. To celebrate how God has worked in the generations that have gone before us. That as we have celebrated this morning, baptism and, and children who've joined our church after putting their faith in Jesus Christ, is that we are celebrating that there is a God who is faithful from generation to generation to generation. And Paul calls us to address one another in our worship in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Celebrate what God has done because your life fits into the bigger story of what God is working throughout all of history. Don't think that God's action in this world began with you, but rather celebrate that what he is doing has gone on for generations around the globe. Praise him with psalms and hymns, but also praise him for, and worship him for what he's doing today with spiritual songs. What are those? Those are personal songs coming from the heart generated by the Holy Spirit. State restates it again, saying, making melody to the Lord with your heart. The vision here is spirit-inspired worship, spirit-inspired new music from the heart to the Lord. Indeed, it's, an, it's a mark of the Spirit of God being at work in someone's life. In particular, more broadly, 
It's the mark of the Spirit of God being at work within a community of believers, that there is new music and new songs. It's actually something that's going to continue on into eternity, new songs. In the book of Revelation, where you get this picture of the fullness of God's kingdom coming, two times in the book of Revelation, it says, and they gathered together and they sang a new song. That at that point in time, the Holy Spirit worked in them and will work in the people of God so that a new song will be sprung forth inspired by the Holy Spirit. This gives a couple correctives. For those of you who don't like the old things, for those of you that don't like hymns, don't like uh, traditional worship, for those of you that don't like things that have gone before, that you're only interested, interested in what is new or what's happening right now, embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in the past. Celebrate what God has done way before you were ever around and learn from it and be filled with God's Spirit to celebrate what God has done of which you are just a small dot in the continuation of the story. On the other hand, for those of you who only like the good old hymns, who only like the great hymns of the faith, it's a calling for you to celebrate the present work of the Holy Spirit is to praise the Lord that his work wasn't just some years ago, but that his work is going on today. And in his work going on today, it will generate new songs, which will be different than what went before. And to praise him for that, and to celebrate the present work of the Holy Spirit. Here at Cornerstone, the way that we seek to apply that within our worship services is that we seek to embrace the richness of the past, with the freshness of the present and the present working of the Holy Spirit, and to do so with the hope of the future. When the day that we join together with people from every tongue, tribe, race, and nation in the worship of God. So a spirit-filled community is one that worships the Lord, celebrating the past and celebrating the present and the future. But this verse also clarifies who worship is for. And they are not simply for the individual. The verse ends, making melody to the Lord with your heart. That our worship from us is for God. It is us, as a community and individually, giving God the honor and the praise that he is due. Not formulaic or perfunctory, some sort of duty, but an overflow of our heart and an overflow of the Spirit working within us. Now, it may very well be that worship that is really good for God is also really good for us. That church is really good worship. That's what people say, right? But the first priority there is not for ourselves, but rather giving God the honor and praise that he is due. In this verse, there is this beautiful interplay of how the Spirit of God works. He's saying, the Spirit of God, be filled with the Spirit, how? By worshiping, by worshiping to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit by worshiping to the Lord. You see the connection here? Is that God so works that he is not only the audience of the worship, but he is also the voice that generates the worship. It is the Spirit of God indwelling his people and overflowing from them that God works, that God uses us individually and as a body to be the instrument through which God praises himself. For God indwells the praise of his people. Do you know what this means? Suddenly, your worship and your singing has a whole lot more significance than what you're individually getting out of it. Is that your worship and your singing is that you are generating By the indwelling spirit, you are generating the voice of God for the praise of God. Now, for those of you who don't like singing, 
The call here for you is to stop suppressing the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your soul and in your body and sing to the Lord for the Spirit that is at work within you. So our worship is for the Lord. But surprisingly, it is also for one another. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. But notice how it begins in verse 19. Worship, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That our worship has a horizontal dimension. That our worship is for God, but our worship is also for one another. That we are to worship in such a way that other people are strengthened in their faith. And that is something that you cannot experience at home by yourself and that cannot experience singing in the car. It's another reason why the Christian life is not and cannot be a solo journey. Now, we are to consciously direct our worship to God and also to the strengthening of one another. I think if you've ever, for those of you here who are followers of Christ, you probably have experienced that. If you've been in a worship service where there was a, you could say, man, that was a really powerful worship service. Maybe it came through a heartfelt offertory, like what Andrea sang. Maybe it's that you're sitting there in church and you're singing maybe a great hymn of the faith, like, great is thy faithfulness. And you're singing with that next to a person who has just gone through a horrific trial. And they are belting that out at the top of their lungs. Because they have experienced afresh the faithfulness of God and they are giving him praise for that. And to join with people who sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, my chains are gone. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My God has set me free. And to sing that next to a person who has experienced, just experienced that for the first time. Or maybe they've experienced it afresh or anew because they have experienced some new aspect of God's deliverance in their heart. And they are crying out and praising the Lord with a spirit working in them saying, amazing grace. And to experience that is supernatural. And we are to direct our worship to God, but our worship is also to be directed to one another. Last week, one of the lady in our church, one of our older godly saints in our congregation said to me, she said, you know, Walt, I don't like our music. And I said, yes, I know that. (laughs) That wasn't the first time she shared that. (laughs) And she goes, I don't like our music, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is alive in this place, and that is why I come here. Hallelujah. I love godly older people. I do. They have such wisdom and grace to look for the working of the Holy Spirit and to praise him when they see it and when they experience. And so those who are filled with the Spirit sing and make music to God to worship God, but also to strengthen one another. Second characteristic of a spirit-filled individual and a spirit-filled community is a community that is filled with giving thanks. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A community of people that are giving thanks. Have you ever known a really thankful person? It's so rare to find one. Because complaining and criticizing and finding fault is so easy. For something to not be the way that you wanted it to be, something not to go how you wanted, for something to always fall short of the standard you have, for it not to be good as what it was before. But grumbling 
is incompatible with the Holy Spirit. And a spirit-filled person and a spirit-filled life is not filled with complaining and criticizing, but is filled with thanksgiving. It says here, giving thanks always and for everything, that all of our life should be filled with giving thanks to God. Now, some people have distorted this text, to be clear. Are we to give thanks for evil? No. That the Spirit of God indwelling us can't celebrate what he himself hates. Doesn't make sense, and what would be right? But, to the extent that suffering and tragedy and evil makes us more dependent on the Lord, we give him thanks. That we give thanks not for the horrors of this life, but we give thanks because it's oftentimes through the dark night, through the suffering, through the struggles, through the hard things, that the grace of God and the glory of Christ shines more brightly and more radiantly, and you experience it in a new and profound way. And for that, you give thanks to the Lord. Spirit-filled life characterized by thanksgiving. Ken Sandy gives, I think, just two helpful pictures of what this looks like. He said, those who are Christians, those are your spirit-filled believers, they live their lives by going on an egg hunt. They live every moment on an egg hunt. An egg being an acronym for, they look for evidence of God's grace. That they live every moment looking for eggs. Every moment looking for evidence of God's grace around them. And then he gives an example in a separate post about his, about two ladies who he refers to as the two treasures, who are his mother and mother-in-law. And this is what he writes about them. He says, my mother-in-law lived with our family for 20 years. For six of those years, my mother also lived with us. So mother and mother-in-law lived with them for six years, mother-in-law for 20 years. My wife and I called them the two treasures. In all the years they lived in our home, I never heard one word of criticism, grumbling, or complaining from either of them. Really, they were that gracious. And even when the pain of Parkinson's, broken hips, and other troubles became a daily challenge, they were both amazingly cheerful and positive. They didn't talk of their pains unless we pressed them. They rarely sighed, moaned, or looked downcast, even when we knew they were suffering. Yes, as they grew older, they did take more of our time and attention. But they didn't wait until their twilight years to develop these pleasant qualities. Each of them had cultivated a cheerful attitude from their earliest days. They made it a habit to be grateful for what they had instead of grumbling about what they lacked. These winsome qualities continued to serve them well when failing health finally forced each of them into a nursing home. They were still so considerate that whenever they rang their buzzers, aides scurried to win the privilege of caring for them. We and many others were the daily beneficiaries of their pleasant ways. Now they are gone, and we miss them immensely. Our home seems so empty without them. 
And then he gives this encouragement. Today is the day to begin building gracious attitudes and behaviors into your life so that when the veneer of company manners is worn away, which shines through is pure gold. And someday, when your kids are fighting about you, it won't be who over it won't be over who has to care for you but who gets to those being filled with the spirit find eggs in every situation of life find evidence of god's grace in every moment no matter the situation it's first two Worshiping, thanksgiving, and finally, be filled with the Spirit. How? By submitting. Submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ, that we submit to others because Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority in our lives. The definition of submit is to arrange in order. It was a military term, particularly used of the subordination of soldiers to higher ranks. Like good soldiers surrender control. They let go of their own personal agenda. They submit for the good of the unit and for the good of themselves. So God is calling us here to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a general calling of Christians, a mark of Christians, to be submitting to one another and giving deference. But it is also the calling of Christians to be submitting to others according to the authority that God established, to be granting, to be submitting to the God-established authorities. And so it is with the lives of Christians. That submission is a mark of the Christian life, should be a general characteristic, something that is evident within us as the Spirit fills us. So Paul gives a picture of this general characterization. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, that our lives should be lived out of deference for others, seeking to serve rather than to be served. But in submitting to one another, it also includes submitting to those with appointed authority, not an indiscriminate submission of every person to everyone else. Paul's about to describe that in upcoming verses in regards to family relationships, but it's a theme throughout the New Testament. Peter says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, that there are to be a God-honoring submission there. Hebrews 13, within the church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then Paul talks of Christians submitting to the government even to a government at the time that Peter was writing this that was persecuting them. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the, ever, the emperor. And to do this all out of reverence for Christ, that those who submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ find little difficulty in submitting themselves to one another. It's a mark of a spirit-filled life. Stott writes, sometimes a person who claims to be filled with the Spirit becomes aggressive, self-assertive, and brash. But the Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. And those who are truly filled with Him always display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics that they submit to one another. You take these together. 
In short, the Spirit-filled life, to be filled with the Spirit, means with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, is to love God and to love one another. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with, to have lives that as an individual and as a community are marked by joy-filled worship, celebrating what God has done, what He is doing, and what He is going to do. It's to be a community of people where every moment there is thanksgiving. Every moment people are seeing and giving thanks to God for evidence of God's grace that they see all around them. Spirit-filled community, a community of those who are submitting to one another because they revere Jesus Christ as their ultimate authority. And so for our lives, may our lives demonstrate love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control, all these things that we wish they were true. But they are an outworking of the indwelling spirit. So may our lives, not just once, but may our lives every day, moment by moment, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the indwelling spirit. Lord, we praise you. As you say in Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Lord, thank you that you who put your spirit in us for those of us who know Christ and are trusting in him. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit indwells us and is at work within us so that the fruit of your spirit might be more evident in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would hasten the process, that our hearts would long to be filled every day and every moment with your spirit so that our lives and our community and our church would be filled with, with spirit-inspired worship, spirit-inspired thanksgiving, spirit-inspired submitting, that you would be seen, felt, and experienced in all of your goodness, in all of your grace, in all of your mercy, and in all of your glory. We pray this in the name of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.